This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 124 of the DeFacto Leaders podcast. In this episode, I'm sharing my interview with Danny Bauer, and we're talking about meditation for educators and the art of giving 85%. I have a love-hate relationship with meditation and mindfulness. I know I should do it. I even talk about why it's beneficial, but I never want to do it, even though I feel better if I do. So if that sounds familiar, you won't want to miss this episode. I invited Danny on to talk about the impact of mindfulness, how it's impacted him and his work as a teacher, principal, and thought leader in the field of education. And I will say you'll also appreciate this conversation if you tend to go full throttle at the beginning with big projects, but quit them because the initial pace was unsustainable. I know that I am personally guilty of this. Danny Bauer is a principal development and retention expert, a best-selling author, 
and founder of Better Leaders, Better Schools. And he also refers to himself as the chief ruckus maker. He's the host of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, ranked in the top 0.5% of 3 million global podcasts. His latest book is Mastermind, Unlocking Talent Within Every School Leader, co-published by Corwin and the National School Superintendents Association. And his mission is to connect, grow, and mentor every school leader who wants to level up. So when I say school leader, I say people who are in leadership positions, as well as people who are wanting to be as effective as possible in their current role, or who might be considering moving into a leadership position at some point in their career. In this interview, we discuss the mastermind concept, why it's so powerful, and how it can bring a much-needed sense of belonging to professional development in education. We also get into a really interesting conversation about meditation. I sort of turned it into a mini coaching session for myself, and he shares how he used meditation to decrease disciplinary write-ups and also share some other benefits to creative problem solving, as well as overall mental health. We also discuss why planning in 90-day chunks is such a powerful way to reach long-term goals and how to use the 85% rule to show up as your best self for your students. One thing I wanted to mention before we get going is that this past year, I joined the B Podcast Network for Educators and Aspiring Leaders. This network has a ton of podcasts that are designed to inspire you to level up in your career as an educator, to help you more effectively serve students, and to lead a more fulfilling career. There are a ton of great podcasts on the network covering topics like school leadership, learning and development in the corporate setting, ed tech, entrepreneurship, and a ton of other things that are going to help you Think of innovative ways that you can use your skills to serve your clients. To learn more about the Bee Podcast Network, go to bepodcastnetwork.com. Today, I am joined by Danny Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, also known as Chief Ruckus Maker. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Here I am to make a ruckus. Thanks for having me, Karen. Yeah. So I know that we we talked a little bit about, you know, just our backgrounds before we got going, but I thought you could start off with just sharing a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, um, you know, what brings you to to be the Chief Ruckus Maker, I guess. Right. Okay. Uh, what brings me to be the chief ruckus maker, you know, back in the day uh, when I was a baby administrator, I just found that PD for me, this is my experience. Okay. But the PD I experienced was often too little, too late, unhelpful and disconnected. And that was that's problematic because I had some big vision, right. And goals that I wanted to accomplish. And you know, training looked like, hey, let's talk about academics, attendance, discipline. All those things matter, right? I'm not going to argue that they don't matter. They're just not why I got out of bed each day to serve as an educator. And there were things that I was really passionate about, right? Like, how do you craft a, a vision for your school that actually guides the work that people are excited about? I don't know about you. I really have a hard time with tough conversations and confrontation and stuff. 
So I have to really like prepare for that. And I needed some training and development mentorship around that. And then finally, you know, I could clearly see that there's inequitable systems that exist in our, in our industry. And that doesn't seem right. I wanted to do something about it and have that talk. And it wasn't as popular back then to talk about these issues. So I started a podcast called Better Leaders, Better Schools. And really, I figured if I talked to the Karens of the world, if I heard from your stories of success and failure, if I took action, which is really important, taking action on one idea that you taught me, I figured I'd grow my leadership skill set. And what I didn't know is if you fast forward to today, you know, I started this podcast in September of 2015, the Better Leaders, Better Schools is one of the most downloaded podcasts in the world, right? Not just education and leadership, but in the world. And so, yeah, that got me to be in the chief ruckus maker. It opened a lot of doors. It changed my life. People started to ask for help. Like, how would you, you know, handle this situation or what would you do here? Or, hey, I want to grow in this area. And so I started helping full time too. So yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I'm a principal development and retention expert. I'm a best-selling author and I host actually two of the world's most downloaded podcasts. So there's Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the other one is? It's called the School Leadership Series. So BLBS, uh, Better Leaders, Better Schools, is always like a weekly conversation like you and I are doing. Mm -hmm. And that's usually around like 30 minutes, let's say. Uh, School Leadership Series is a different flavor, and that's Monday through Friday. It's basically about five minutes or less is what we shoot for. And when I say we, I started the show, I, I hosted it by myself for probably like three years. Mm-hmm. Then I started building a team and uh, highlighting other voices. That was super cool, really fun. But I found it was like herding cats. And so that was just like too much uh, management and following yeah. up. I didn't want to. So now it's just me and a co-host, uh, basically like, you know, this other awesome mastermind coach named Kareen. And so she co-hosts with me. So I, I'll create some content. She creates some content. And we just rotate like that. Yeah. We have one. So on the B podcast network, we just started one yeah. called um, morning motivation for educators. And right. so we just all yeah. contribute. And I don't know, I, I like, I typically have been a, a more of a long content person. I can talk a lot. And uh, hey. so when, when I contribute to that show, I always have a hard time keeping it to five minutes. It's like, you know, 20 yeah. minutes and got to cut it down or cut it into a couple episodes, but the short ones are fun. So you mentioned mastermind. I know that's something else that you do. Can you share a little bit about that? Right. That's a that's a concept that I helped introduce into our industry. And essentially, this was a way that forever business folks have been organizing mm-hmm. themselves yeah. to really support each other and, and challenge each other, help each other grow, solve your number one you know problem. And you know, I helped bring that to education and do that for school leaders. I was in a mastermind as the podcast started to take off and I just saw so much fruit, right? So many great results in my personal and professional life. The metaphorical light bulb went off and I'm like, oh my gosh, school leaders are so isolated. What if I started inviting them to this weekly PD experience called the mastermind? And that really worked for me too. So at this point, I think we have 10 cohorts. Uh, just over 80 participants, literally from every continent except Antarctica. And there's three groups specifically for women in leadership. 
And we'll be opening our goal is to open our first BIPOC focused cohort uh, this summer too. And so that's uh, it's pretty rad. I mean, it's just a great way to support school leaders. And uh, my bestseller book talks about why the mastermind is such a sh- like powerful concept. Um, and there's this process that I unpack called the ABCs of powerful professional development. So the, the high level summary is just like, hey, something special happens when you intentionally integrate authenticity, belonging, and challenge into a PD experience. And the same is true, actually, to integrate that into a classroom experience, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people people really grow, you know, and transform in that kind of setting. Yeah. So that was something that I wanted to ask you about, because I know it's something you've written about sure. in at least one of your books, just the concept of the ABCs, because I know that that's mm-hmm. something you know, I always found really frustrating with PD. And even as a person providing the PD, a lot of schools you know, and I don't blame him because I know that everybody's stressed and there's a lot of different moving parts, but a lot of times it just feels like we're just filling our PD days and it's like, all right, let's check it off the box. And I always feel like from the, from the perspective of the person giving it, that I would rather have some kind of an ongoing group and ongoing relationship with Mm -hmm. those people from the district, rather than just going in and lecturing and just having them feel like they're drinking water through a fire hose and then me leaving, which, yeah, now that we have social media, people can kind of follow up afterwards, but a lot of times it's not the same as this ongoing experience. Yeah. 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 So I agree. Can you share a little bit about how, how that works in the mastermind and why it's different than a lot of the traditional professional development that's offered? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of described what I said too, right? There's too little, too late, unhelpful, disconnected, and there wasn't a lot of cohesion. I I think there's a couple of issues that systems face, you know, one is not having like a very clear strategy and then committing to that. I think people are afraid to commit Mm -hmm. and way, way too many leaders in education or sort of a, like a blow in the wind kind of leader. It's like, what, what, what directions the wind blowing? I'm going to go that way. Well, you, you mm-hmm. can't, you got to be consistent. You got to say, here's like leadership. You pick edges. We do this. We don't do that. Right. And that's something that I tell all the leaders I support. Uh, here's the thing. Schools should really try to be great at only a handful of things instead of trying to please everybody and be great at everything. Like that's just a recipe for failure, for being very mediocre. Why do you, why would you want to create a very average experience for your kids? Well, it's because of the fear. Oh, if I don't have this program for the students or, you know, this after school opportunity, then we're missing. No, you're not. Just be great at a handful of things. It's depth versus breadth. So that's mm-hmm. something I think about. Uh, you know, yes, about ABCs, so that authenticity, belonging, challenge. I mean, I could rattle on for this, like for years and ages. Yeah. Uh, but again, like something really important, like authenticity. Imagine like how many spaces do you have where you could show up as your true self, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's really important because now you can say like, here, hey, let's celebrate these things. I'm, it's not bragging. It's not egotistical. It's like, it's good to reflect and celebrate things you've done. But at the flip side of it too, take off the mask and say, oh man, did I blow this up? You know, this was really a bad decision I made. Help me pick up the pieces, right? So with authenticity, it's really about safety, self-awareness, and being values-driven. 
then the belonging piece, I mean, we all want to be connected to like a bigger something, you know, and at least in the space of a school, we want to believe that we're working towards like some kind of vision or mission that is changing the lives, right, of our community and especially our kids. So it's about, you know, being inclusive, creating a welcoming environment where feel, people feel connected. Uh, you could do that through shared purpose too. And obviously like building a huge, the foundation is trust, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what belonging is all about. And then challenge, you know, it's really about mindset to me. Um, do you see obstacles as an opportunity to grow and that kind of thing? It's about taking action, right? I like to say that ideas are great, but not the greatest. Well, action's better than an idea. You know, we need the idea to start, then we need to take action to get the result. And the last piece, you know, to me in challenges, it's really easier to do it uh, together as a community versus always operating on an island. So that's, you know, a little bit of the ABCs. I don't know if you're looking more about like how a mastermind nuts and bolts actually operates, but that at least is the concept of why it works. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because if you have been involved in any kind of, you know, if you if you've started a business or done anything related, the, the word mastermind is somewhat familiar, but you don't see it yeah. a lot in education and you don't see it a lot in healthcare either. And I would say that a lot of people mm-hmm. listening are, are in one of those categories, whether they're a therapist okay. or a teacher or they're maybe they're a therapist working in a medical setting and a school setting. It's not something that's used very often. And so I think people don't necessarily know what it means, but, but yeah, I I think the levels of the different kinds of relationships are really important because you might have relationships with your coworkers, but the vulnerability that you can have with somebody who is at work with you is going to be a lot different than somebody in a group where everybody's just supporting each other. I have in some of the groups that I've run have seen that where, where some people are even like, like, I don't want my name to be out there asking this question because I'm a bear embarrassed that I don't mm. know this answer. And maybe you don't feel comfortable asking your, you know, if you're, if you're a principal, you have people who are directly reporting mm-hmm. to you or, and then you're directly reporting to somebody. And so where yeah, do you get yeah. that mentorship and support? Even though you do right. want it at some level in your work setting, it's it's just different with a group like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a huge advantage we have. The fact that people are spread all over the world yeah, and that you don't really go to work on campus with these people. You can, uh, you it might initially out of the gate feel a bit safer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, I, I'll, I'll tell you, like, because I, I do case study interviews with my clients and I ask right? What are the results you've accomplished? And uh, was there ever a time you wanted to quit or what was hard about using the mastermind? And when we get into like, what was difficult, you know, many have a similar story, which is basically, whoa, I came to my first meeting and these are some really high level leaders. And mm-hmm. I thought, who am I to be here? Right? Yeah. And then, you know, the follow-up natural follow-up questions always, well, what changed? Cause you've stuck around for years at this point. And basically everybody says, but everybody was so welcoming, right? And so friendly. Uh, and they didn't judge, you know, what I said or any like that kind of stuff. Uh, and just over time, like I connected with them, right? They made me feel like I belonged. And, you know, that's that's the story. So we have an advantage, but this could happen within systems too. 
in sort of like a ruckus maker wag of the finger at systems leaders, you people should be able to admit where they need help. And mm -hmm. what a shame it is if you have created, you created it as a leader, you created the environment where people don't feel comfortable asking for help. Shame on you. Because now you have people who are operating, right? Like doing the best they can, but they might not have all the facts or the knowledge or, you know, the know-how to do something. And what kind of results are you going to get in that kind of environment? So, you know, psychological safety is a, a really important concept. And when I was writing that book, Mastermind, uh, that was the number one predictor of team excellence uh, at Google, right? They did, they did a massive, massive, massive study and looked at like what made teams so successful. And it wasn't that they all had A players or, you know, they all went to some kind of like Ivy League school or whatever you would think, right? The number one predictor of success was psychological safety within the team. Yeah, that's really interesting because I know that even so, even with like free online groups and things like that, it's very different when you have a community that's curated and um, I don't want to say managed, but, but again, just taking care of with, mm -hmm. with this, with this lens of, of making sure that the environment is, does have the right culture, because a lot of the other options that I've seen people go to, it's, okay, I have my work environment and I don't necessarily feel safe there. So I'm going to go and find information elsewhere. And where I've seen it happen a lot in, in my field is that there's, you know, Facebook groups, there's Reddits, but then the safety piece is not there at all because it's not yeah. controlled at all. And so, the, so just some of the things that people say, I just, you know, it's definitely not totally. supportive. So just to have a place where there is that sense of belonging and, and everyone is just there for each other. I think it's, it's really, it really makes a difference. Yeah, for sure. I agree. So with the, you, you have a book that's really designed for principals who are coming into their, you know, their first, their first year as a principal. But I think that a lot of the concepts in there could apply to anyone who is in any type of leadership position relating to education, or if you are working directly with students and you just want to shift the way that you approach your job and think about things differently for the year. And one of the things that you talked about in there is the concept of planning for the next 90 days. And mm. when I see people who are doing their to-do lists or trying to plan for productivity or long-term plans, a lot of times people will just focus on what's right in front of them without thinking long-term, but then some nice people do the opposite. And it's like this huge thing that I want to do this year, but it's so big that they don't get started. So why 90 days? Why is that time period so powerful? Yeah, I think you basically described it. You know, if it's more than 90 days, you have a lot of opportunities to keep punting and procrastinate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or you might, you know, just bite off more than you can chew, be uh, unrealistic in what you could accomplish. And then, you know, uh, less than 90 days, you're just going to feel very rushed, right? And it's mm -hmm. uh, not even practical that you could accomplish whatever goal. So in 90 days, that's a really great sweet spot because it gives you enough runway uh, to focus and, and get a lot done. Um, but it's not too, too long, right? That you don't take it seriously. Uh, 
And it's just natural, right? Like the year's broken into four 90-day quarters. Mm-hmm. And so it just makes a lot of sense, you know, to to plan that way. Um, it's worked for me. I've been adopting this, not even like in terms of entry plan, but just planning in general. Oh, gosh, probably at least till, since 2017, maybe maybe 2016. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, but it's been very, very helpful in my life. And so I'm just a believer in this and, you know, teach it, teach it to others too. The other thing with like long, long long-term planning, you know, I I have big goals and to get there, I'm giving myself many, many years uh, to achieve it. Like I have a 25 year goal that I'm working towards, but that's broken down into Mm -hmm. 90 day quarters on the way there. Yeah. Uh, So it's, so it's manageable Um, with the, right to pivot right so that's the thing with like long term and listen like i mean talk about disruption and how things change and education losing its mind with the uh onset of chat gpt is just one just one example of ai yeah the thing is if you have a long-term plan it's it's actually changing tomorrow you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so 90 days actually works you know otherwise you're just going to be uh (laughs) rewriting the script all the time Oh, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean, where whenever I try to plan too far out in advance and get too specific on the 90 day chunks past the current one, it always yeah. changes. And if I go too far into the minutia, too far in advance, then I always change it. And it was not time that was spent very effectively. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like the the 90 day chunks works a lot. It, it was something that I used when I was doing my dissertation. And you know, yes. again, there's there's like maybe 50% of people don't finish their their dissertations and they get all the way to the end there and done all that work right. and they don't finish. And it's it's just because it is such a long, stressful project and you have to know what do I need to be doing now to get me here so I don't procrastinate, but also so much can change, so much can go wrong. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it works really well for that. It works well for a lot of other things as well. Just planning your school year if you want to do something new <laughs> over the next yeah. year. 100%. So what are the things when you have somebody who's coming into a new leadership position? You talked about five pillars. So things that they should focus on and and prioritize as kind of this this main framework that you use. What are those? Yeah, the the framework, thanks Karen is uh, you know, you start with you and that's a common thread, you know, among all my work. Almost everything I teach, if it's creating your ideal week or your vision for your school or whatever, it's about starting with you. And that's because, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. And if you're burnt out and depleted and stressed all the time, uh, you don't actually have a lot of high quality work or you can't create a lot of value for your campus. Plus, you suck to be around as a person, (laughs) to be honest. So. And there's not a lot of spaces to, again, I, pl- I play a lot with school leaders, right? So there's not a lot of spaces that are actually telling school leaders, slow down. You know, mm-hmm. it's actually really poor advice to be the first one in and the last one out. That's that's an old model of leadership that no longer is relevant. Uh, take care of yourself. I mean, go to the doctor. This is like fundamentals. It's I'm not I'm not creating anything new here. Yeah. But what I am creating is a space saying you matter, your health matters, right? Your mental well-being, 
your energy, how you interact with others. And so we, we always start with you. And then after that is the business of school. So it's thinking about our communication and um, yeah, how we effectively roll out ideas and follow up and have feedback loops and all of that stuff. Obviously, academics, you can't talk about school without talking about that. Right. Culture is a big pillar, right? In the way things are done around here and what you're willing to be uh, even like, um, what would be the word, like not yelled at, but punished for, right? You live out mm -hmm. your values at such a high level. It might rub people the wrong way, but you're like, you know what? That's, that's what we do here, right? Mm -hmm. And you stick to it. And then the last piece, which is the last intentionally, because often leaders are always just playing in this area. It's operations. It's the day-to-day -day things that keep the lights on, which are important, of course, right? But guess what? That's not where uh, significant impact, legacy, you know, anything remarkable is not created usually in operations, right? And so it's very easy to get caught up in the stress of that and being a very reactive leader. So I saved that for last because folks will eventually get there. They're not going to ignore it. It's just not, it's not a place to start because if the problem is if you start there, you might spend 90% of your time there or more. And then you have nothing else for the stuff that actually makes a remarkable campus. Yeah, that's really interesting because I do, you know, operations are, I would say I have an appreciation for it because it's not always super exciting, but it's really important to be able to get things done. But it's not only about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I like the idea of all of these things blending together, because if you're missing one of them, even one of them, it's it's the other things aren't going to be as effective. Like you can't have solid operations and terrible culture and have kids learning in school. I mean, it's just not going right. to work that way or vice versa. You can't not yeah. have any operations because then nothing's going to get done. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, to be clear, I don't say ignore operations. Right. It's just get to it last. Right. Yeah. Plan all this other very important work before you get to the thing that you always were going to do anyways. You know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah, it is still a part of the framework. I wanted to take a quick break here to talk about the School of Clinical Leadership. In this conversation with Danny, we talk about the power of planning in 90-day chunks. And that's exactly what I show you how to do in the School of Clinical Leadership, my program for related service providers who want to put executive functioning support in place in their school buildings. So if you are on an IEP team and you're working with students who need this kind of support, but you're struggling to get your team on board and you know that it's going to take a lot of work and you're not sure how to get started, I highly recommend planning this in 90-day blocks. This is a big initiative, but when you break it down into chunks, it makes it much more manageable. And over time, you're going to realize the impact that this has on your students when you get the right support in place. And of course, part of knowing how to do this is understanding how to block out time to make things happen, but then you also need the strategies to put in place to support students in the area of executive functioning, which I do as well in the program. So if you want to lead your teams in supporting students' social, emotional, and academic growth and be a part in making that happen in your building, then check out the School of Clinical Leadership. 
All you need to do to become a member is go to drkarendudakbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. That And it makes sense because when you're doing anything operationally, if you're, I, I could just imagine if you're exhausted and you have to think about something like that, that does require attention to detail, you're not going to be as effective if you haven't taken care of yourself when you do that totally. thing. So that's, mm-hmm. it does make sense to put it in at the end, once you've taken care of the other things and set the stage, it, it's almost like, you know, in the, in the space that I'm in, there's a lot of talk about there's the executive functioning and attention piece, but then there's the mm. the learning of actual skills. And so we do have to set the stage and make sure that kids are paying attention. And, and then you do have to teach the skills, but you have to have mm. both of them together at the same time. Otherwise, they're not going to work one without other. The other yeah. one is just, you know, it's not complete. Right. I like that point you brought up, Karen. You know, and the other thing, too, is like, you, okay, you're pouring and filling your cup. But the other things, hopefully, communication, academics, culture, hopefully all those things also give you energy because it's like, yeah. wow, we're, we're doing some exciting stuff mm-hmm. on campus. And now let's talk about like how it actually happens. But yeah, hopefully all those things are energy giving, giving, not depleting. Yeah. I think it's good for people to, to be aware of what is energy depleting and giving for them too, because I know it's different for yep. different people. I'm, I I know you mentioned meditating and I have a love hate relationship with meditation. So, (laughs) and I've talked about that with other guests on the podcast, because I'm definitely a person who is sensory seeking and I like to move. And, you know, I'm that person where it's like, I'm not getting anything done. I'm just sitting here. And even though I know scientifically that I will be more effective if I sit here and, you know, do the meditation. So I mean, what counts as meditating <laughs> to you? What things, and, and what yeah. if, you know, when, when you hear people say, I don't have time to meditate, what do you say to them? <laughs> well, let me, let me frame too, like, like who even cares what I think, but right. maybe in a sense you should, uh, you know, I, I started taking meditation more seriously in 2016. So I've been doing it for quite a while now. Uh, and the reason why is we read a book in the mastermind where I served school leaders and the book was called search inside yourself. And uh, it's funny how everything's connected. That was written by a Google engineer, Chade Ming time hmm. and, uh, and helped start the company, but then was like running what became the most popular course for Google employees on campus, which was looking inside mindfulness and meditation. Right. Hmm. Uh, and then that's not, that's, from what I understand, you know, what he's focused on and not with Google anymore. So my my clients and school leaders really benefited from it. And I saw that I was benefiting from it too. Uh, becoming, listen, uh, clarification. I am not even close to perfect. I am messing stuff up all the time, right? With that said, I have seen myself become less reactive, right? So we all have triggers and things that... Uh, send us over the edge, right? Sometimes that happens mm-hmm. in the classroom with a student. Maybe it's even just a stupid thing they say. And then a teacher set off and actually, you know, they're messing up the energy of the classroom because right. of how they responded and reacted, right? And when I when I figured that out, actually, as a teacher, I wasn't meditating at the time. Um, I never wrote up a kid again when I became responsible for my own 
energy, and presence. So less reactive, calmer, better ideas. I think generally like happier, more content Mm -hmm. and curious, curious just about experience, you know, what's going on there. So, uh, been taking it seriously for a while. Uh, I've, I've enrolled in a two year mindfulness and meditation certification program, which I'm in, and it's, it's led by, uh, Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock, who are two huge, yeah, Mm -hmm. huge people that really brought this West from the East. So they are great people to learn from. And, uh, you know, I've done a seven day silent meditation retreat where Karen, all you do is meditate (laughs) from when you wake up to when you go to bed. Now it's not a, it's not a whatever 12 hour or whatever it is meditation. It's broken up into chunks, right? You go sit in the hall and you meditate. Then you do walking meditation. Then you like have a job. So you're doing cleaning. Like I was doing cleaning meditation and, you know, cleaning Mm, bathrooms. That's interesting. Talk about mindful eating. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mindful eating, like really like just enjoying and slowing that whole process down, especially because in America, like, I don't know if you realize this or not, but you know, the rest of the world laughs at America in the sense of it's really, it's always so busy. And one of the only places in the world where people get coffee and don't sit down and enjoy it and like savor that experience. They get coffee to rush to the next thing and like drink the coffee as they're rushing. Yeah. What's the rush? You know, it's part of meditation and mindfulness is like, what's the rush all about? Why, why are we doing? So I really resonate with that. Um, And my practice has certainly deepened, you know? Uh, And so I think what was the original question was like, why sort of meditate, especially like when you feel like there's so much to get done. Was that, was that right? Yeah. You know, I guess my, my would be a reframe for when, when people have that objection of, I don't have time to do this. Cause that's probably the number one objection I get to a lot of the things that I recommend that are those proactive things that don't have this immediate benefit or is hard to see the immediate benefit. Hmm. So uh, I guess the invitation would be, Hey, would you like, uh, would you like a a more enjoyable experience with this precious time you still have left? Mm Because it all ends for everybody. Right. And it helps you slow down. Uh, My reply, you actually, um, I don't have time to meditate. You don't, you don't have time not to meditate. Like you really Mm -hmm. should start thinking about that because we do so many things on automatic and unconsciously right have you ever just like done something for whatever period of time and then been like what what was i just doing yeah all the time (laughs) right yeah so meditation is the kind of snap you out of that Mm -hmm. like to be in the moment you know to to yeah, say it like I said, savor the coffee or whatever the experience is. I like the idea of how you said that the eating meditation or the cleaning meditation. Why can't you be meditating when you're doing the dishes? Or I I like to say, I'm just gonna sit here and drink my coffee and space out for a few minutes, but that could be meditation or going for you, a run. You could turn or a it walk. into it for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 100%. Because I think the problem is like without a lot of um, definition around it and that kind of thing, you know, maybe people just think meditation is okay. I have to sit some type of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I have to have my hands. Maybe I'm chanting something or candles. Right. Like maybe, I mean, there's like a million ways to meditate. Right. But I think at the core of what's going on, it's really about an awareness and curiosity and investigation of experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so anyways, you could totally do that while sipping coffee or cleaning and it's paying attention to thoughts. There's something when you start to meditate, there's something really powerful that happens that you realize, oh, I am not my thoughts. I am not anger or jealousy or whatever, you know, even happiness. These are things that kind of just flow through me and then they're gone. Like who's, mm-hmm. who's control, who's, who or what is controlling all of this experience that actually influences a lot of what I do every day if I don't consciously think about it. So I'll end with the story. If you have follow-up questions, that's totally fine. Like I can really nerd out on this topic. Mm -hmm. But the story is this, right? Something happened. I was profoundly upset. Just a deep sorrow, right? Like the frog in your throat, Mm -hmm. you know, pit in your stomach type of sadness. And it hurt. And so uh, instead of doing anything like lashing out or having a beer or like any. I decided I'm going to meditate, right? I sit down and I meditate and I'm just like observing the sadness. Where do I feel it in my body and all this kind of stuff? And then I don't know when, let's just say it was three minutes, five minutes. I don't know. But at some point, my focus and attention went off of this sadness that I was experiencing and it's spring. And uh, I started hearing the chirp, chirp, chirp of the birds outside. And mama bird must have been bringing home uh, worms and other goodies to her kids because everybody was happy. It sounded like dinner time. And I realized I actually had a smile on my face now, listening to nature in these birds, right? And I'm like, oh, where'd the sadness go? And now I'm happy, right? Then at some point, you know, I ended the meditation. I actually journaled about it. And then I realized as I was journaling, the sadness had come and gone the happiness and joy that I experienced with the uh, birds come and gone, even the sound of the birds, that wasn't there anymore, right? Things come, they go. And that's one of the key components of a Vipassana insight and, you know, concentration meditation is that um, everything's impermanent. You can't grasp, right? When you Mm -hmm. try to grasp and hold on to stuff and make it stick around forever, it causes suffering. And so, yeah. All right. How's that for a little meditation? talk. Yeah. <laughs> I always, again, I it's, uh, there's, there's so much to this one. And you know, it's, I think the interesting part of it is when you get, you have this problem in front of you and you're like, this is a problem. I'm and you're trying to force it. You're trying to force the solution. And then it just yeah. comes to you when you're in the shower or something. And I think that sometimes mm. people don't realize that in a way you're, you're probably doing an element of meditation when you're, when you're doing those other mundane things and you could easily turn it into that if you wanted to, and that it would, even though it it feels like there's an, an impossible situation in front of you, that it will come to you. And that's, that's where I struggle with it because there's sometimes where it's like, I'm just supposed to 
to go meditate when I have no idea how this solution is going to come. And so I think it's the uncertainty that that's what gets to me. And I think that that's, that's what sometimes gets to other people where it doesn't seem like it makes sense on the surface. Yeah. Well, you know, the invitation, and again, just tell me to shut up when I'm talking too much, but <laughs> maybe the invitation for you, Karen, is like, uh, don't sit and try to come up with a solution, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let go, let go of that. Don't grasp, oh, I need to figure something out mm-hmm. and kind of just sit back and observe what's going on. And just think, you know, for you, uh, the uncertain, you, mes- you mentioned uncertainty. So I would invite you to just like, okay, what's that all about? Like, mm-hmm. where did, where, what happens next once you observe and put attention on uncertainty, right? Or do you feel uncertainty in your body somewhere? And what is that feeling, right? And look and put attention there. And then where does it go? What happens next? Mm-hmm. So okay. it's like you're going around and to all these different places from one place to another, just watching them come and go. Yes. You got it. Yeah. So I just am turning this into like a coaching session here. <laughs> I'm like really into it too. If you yeah. can't tell, I could like, <laughs> so, we can really talk about this. Are you a, a runner? Because I know you talked about Carl Lewis and was that, I, just... I, I, Go yeah, ahead. I have, I have that story, not because I am a runner and I'm certainly not a sprinter. Okay. Yeah. I am a, I'm a very um, slow, but will never quit runner, right? I've got incredible stamina. And uh, yeah, I am not a sprinter like Carl Lewis. But part of that, I'd have to think about where I put it in the book. But I remember hearing a podcast between Tim Ferriss and uh, Hugh Jackman, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. The guy Mm -hmm. who looks like Wolverine, every guy like, like, I want the Wolverine body, right? Yeah. Good looking dude. And Uh anyways, he mentioned this story that he heard about Carl Lewis's coach. And I'm just retelling what I heard from him, but Carl Lewis, right. Famous Olympian American and a sprinter. And I do remember him winning lots of gold medals. Mm -hmm. What I didn't remember until uh, Jackman told the story is he consistently was out of the gates slow. Right. And it's a sprint. You don't have that long to run the race. So his competition would be dusting him early, very early in the race And the crowd who didn't know that there was a very intentional approach that he was taking, that he learned from his coach, the crowd's like, oh, gosh, like, is he going to win? Is it going to happen? The gold is on the line. And then at some point where his competition started to actually slow down because they started so fast, he just kept getting faster and faster and faster and dusted them at the end and, and racked up a whole bunch of gold medals. Uh, in the result of his, you know, his effort and career. So the idea that his coach uh, gave him was, Carl, like, I want you actually to give 85% effort, right? And there's a few things going on there that translates to education. And again, me, you know, working with school leaders, but you can't, you can't always be coming out of the gate so hard or for so long, right? all these things I talk about are connected. This is a back to your energy, right? And you can't pour from an empty cup. So don't don't start out too fast and all that kind of stuff. Plus, when you're going that hard, 100% or people say 110% or whatever, you're actually like quite clenched up and rigid, 
and mm-hmm. inflexible, which is, you know, in a physical competition leads to injury in a, uh, in, in a work, you know, like a mental job that we have, like as a school leader, we make poor decisions, maybe yeah. even stupid decisions when we're that rigid and inflexible. So yeah, that's a key, key idea that I do. Uh, yeah. Talk about in the book. Yeah. I thought about that. So I read that and um, I thought immediately of Prefontaine. Um, are you familiar with Prefontaine at all? Who's another runner? Right. Mustache, right? Yep. First like four, yeah. four minute or? Uh, no. So that, I had, that was Roger Bannister okay. is the four minute uh, mile guy, but Prefontaine is, so he, he was from University of Oregon, very involved yeah, with right. Nike. Um, but his yeah. thing was, he used to say the best, if the best pace is a suicide pace, then today is a good day to die. He would just go all out all right out. away and just be like, let me see how far I can go until I just, you know, hit the wall. And he got a lot of respect for it. Um, but for sure. Yeah. I don't know that that works when you're thinking about an entire school year, that, that kind of well, prefontaine attitude of like all out until I just pass out. <laughs> I think, you know, you bring up a good point and if we connect to like sort of Eastern thinking meditation, you know, there's, there's a, a good and a bad, there's a opposite in, you know, the reaction, like a yin and a yang, like there's, there's the duality of life, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's just, I have this, uh, people can't see it, but on the podcast it says there's two sides to every coin, right? That's mm-hmm. one of my values. And I realize when I'm afraid to do something, that means um, it's actually an exciting opportunity, right? I feel the fear. I'm about to speak to 500 people or whatever, right? My hands are getting uh, sweaty and I'm like, oh my God, do they even want to hear what I have to say? Do I even know what I'm saying today? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Or, whoa, what an opportunity to serve 500 people. So 85% is one end of the spectrum. Prefontaine, you know, uh, suicide mission, give it all you got. <laughs> Maybe there's a season for everything, but right. I, I think we can agree. One of them is way more sustainable. Mm-hmm. And in an industry where we're bleeding uh, school administrators and teachers, right? Like crazy. I think uh, a sustainable solution is a smart one. Yeah. That makes sense how it it's context specific. I mean, there might yeah. be some times when you do need to have all hands on deck. But how will you ever have the energy for those moments if you're always doing that? Exactly. And there's, and you got to realize too, and I think this is sort of like an ego check and back to mindfulness meditation, it's self-awareness. This is emotional Mm -hmm. intelligence. Uh, Prefontaine is a freak of nature. Most human beings can't compete at that level, right? Mm -hmm. So it would be silly to adopt the same approach because again, you're just going to get injured, frustrated, uh, you know, messed up mentally, and that's not good for anybody. You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, yeah, realize that we have limits too. So I wanted to go to another thing that you said, because you have a lot of, I guess, a lot of, of principles, I guess you could call them. So just quotes, principles, ways that you think about things. I like, let me give you an example, because I want people to check out the book, right? Build Leadership Momentum. So I'm going to selfishly give an example for my life, from my life, and say, if you want to know how it plays out in school, get the book. But for example, when people uh, buy the book, um, I don't 
have to sign it, right? That takes more of my time and uh, and probably isn't expected, you know, from folks that order a copy. But I do that because I am expressing gratitude, so thankful that somebody bought a book, right? You can get it to Amazon two days, there you go. You get it from me, like I'll I'll sign it. And then depending on time and that kind of thing, uh, things that won't scale, um, I might research the person. And if I see, oh, they're working on a thing, I might even write them a note. Hey, I've got an idea for you here. Here's my number. Give me a call. 100% of the time I do that, everybody calls me back, which is That's really so interesting. Cool. Yeah. But the, the, other, the other stuff too is just like, uh, I've actually been calling people that have purchased the book too, right? So, and there's been, there's been a lot, uh, but I'm also not a Malcolm Gladwell or a Stephen King, right? I'm not selling millions of books. Mm -hmm. um, I'm selling, you know, a few thousand tops. Um, and so anyways, uh, to just like pick up the phone, right? And as I mentioned, I have a podcast that's done really well. And so for, for like, quote unquote, super fans, you know, here's Danny calling, right? And they're, they're, they enjoy my work and that kind of thing. And I just get to say, Karen, tell me about today. Like, what's going on? It's Danny. Like, is there anything I could do to help? And we have a five, 10 minute conversation and people are always like, oh, I can't believe you're calling me. And yeah. that brings me a lot of joy too. So that, that's an example of personal, right? So doing things like that, but to scale up, really what I'm thinking about is how to deliver just a, a wow experience, right? How to elevate the quality. Because again, you buy a book, you're just expecting a book. Mm -hmm. But what if you got a book, you know, that in this case, it's an easy read, wouldn't you agree? But to me, you could read it in an hour. And my goal was to deliver a result in few is in few words as possible. And then on top of that, maybe I call you or write you a note. Uh, plus, there's all sorts of bonuses. I've got bonuses galore. You know what I mean? So you get mm -hmm. so much more in the book. And these are things that are hard to do scaling wise. But it, for me, in terms of... Um, uh, scaling up. It's about just, yeah, improving the overall quality of the experience. So really keeping it, keeping it simple so that you can create a really good experience for what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. I love that. And I think I can just think about not just in school, but just so many examples of when, you know, when you're at a restaurant or someplace and Somebody just does something that goes above and beyond and you really remember right. it. And you're totally. like, wow, that's awesome. You know, especially because a lot of times people just do, you know, they meet your expectations and it's fine. You know, you're not upset, but, right. but it's always nice when people just put that extra level of effort and energy into it. Yeah. There's like, there's some, uh, cause I'm running, you know, the, uh, like, a healthier version of Gatorade, you know, electrolytes and doesn't have as much sugar and all the stuff. Right. And they got bars and whatever they're called scratch labs, but you know, I ordered some stuff from them and I never expected it. Now I do kind of, but uh, you get the stuff you bought, but then you get some stickers and that's just kind of fun. And they're, they're cool and totally my vibe, but also a handwritten note. And they're like, whatever race or, you know, Maybe they have 10 things that they rotate through. I don't know. But they wrote me a personal note, basically like crush whatever race or whatever you're preparing for and like sign their name, like who prepared the box. I thought that was a cool touch, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's such a small little thing, but I'm like, wow, that was really nice. Yeah. 
I remember um, when I was in the schools, my, my principal used to do stuff like that every so often. And she would write a personal mm-hmm. note about, you know, hey, you really handled that meeting well the other day or just things like that um, where you're just not expecting it. And, yeah. you know, nobody's expecting a pat on the bat after back after an IEP meeting or something like that. So sure, I can see a lot of sure. applications to education as well with students, whether you're the one working with students or whether you're, you know, you're a supervisor. Absolutely. Yeah, that's great. Oh, there's so many other things that we could we could get into, but I know that we've been talking for a while and um, you have a lot of good yeah. content that people can go check out if they want to learn more Thank about you. you and your work. So where can people find you and connect with you? Yeah. All right. So betterleadersbetterschools.com. That's my website. You know, if you are in school leadership or want to learn more about building entry plans, check out Build Leadership Momentum, how to create the perfect principal entry plan. And you can go to buildleadershipmomentum.com and get all the goodies and the signed book and all that stuff too. Uh, You can email me, danny at betterleadersbetterschools.com. And you could call or text. My number is 312-788-7595. And Karen, you might find it interesting. The listener might also find it interesting. If you want to explore mindfulness and meditation, Uh, I'm starting to put out guided meditations too, as an experiment via the podcast. Uh, And I might start host. Well, I know I will, I shouldn't say might at all. At some (laughs) point I'll be, I'll be hosting like midday resets or whatever type of thing. But, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously I'm going to invite through my email list. Uh, And then if you want to sit with some people and meditate or ask some questions about meditation, you know, people might be uh, really into that as well. So. That's well, I'm glad I asked you about that. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Who knew? I know. I know. Well, um, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This is really an honor. So I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to check the show notes for all the places you can connect with Danny. One theme in this conversation was the idea of doing things in 90-day chunks, which is something that I share in the School of Clinical Leadership. We talked a lot about meditation in this conversation, which can be a really powerful strategy for improving creativity and focus. But it's hard to utilize those kinds of strategies for self-regulation and for improving your performance if you don't engage in internal self-directed talk, which is part of executive functioning. So that's why it's so important that we teach these skills to our students, which is why the School of Clinical Leadership is all about giving you the tools and the framework that you need to put executive functioning support in place in your building. So this is both what you do in therapy and what you do when kids are pulled out of classrooms for extra help, as well as the strategies that you put in place when students are in the classroom and the strategies that you give students that they can take beyond the school day. So if you have students 
who struggle behaviorally in the classroom, maybe they're not getting their work done and they're having a hard time motivating themselves, then chances are executive functioning could be at play, especially if these students are also struggling to form relationships with peers, not getting assignments turned in, and show anxiety about new unfamiliar experiences. So to learn more about how to join the School of Clinical Leadership, you're going to want to go to drkarendudarkbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. If you would like to be a guest on the show, or if you have a suggestion for a guest, then email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. I'm always interested in learning from people who are using their skills as an educator, a therapist, or a leader to make an impact on the fields of education and healthcare. Again, just email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.